I want to call your attention now to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, as we continue our study of the Beatitudes. They're called Beatitudes because the word blessed is uh, from, in its Latin version, looks like a Beatitude. And we have in English the word blessed. We might call them the blesseds. And we come today to verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I don't know of a verse in all of God's word that is more searching to my soul than this one. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The hearers there on that mountain in Galilee who heard the Lord Jesus say these things, if they were familiar with the Old Testament, they would have recognized some parallel from what our Lord said here with the 24th Psalm that says, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? And here's the answer, or part of the answer, the beginning of the answer. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. The pure in heart will ascend into the holy place of God. However, what Jesus says here came as a surprise, no doubt, to those who had listened more to the Pharisees than to the psalmist. Because the emphasis of the Pharisees was on outward things, not upon the heart. Listening to the Pharisees, they would draw this conclusion... Happy are the pure of hands. Happy are the pure of lips. Happy are the pure of uh, forearms to the elbow. Happy are the pure of uh, bowls and tables uh, and, and plates at the table. Blessed are the pure of garments. But never a word about blessed are the pure in heart. And our Lord addresses this whole uh, disgrace of the Pharisees in other passages more directly. For example, in Matthew chapter 15, verse uh, 7, he quotes from Isaiah and says, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Again, later in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, 
Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Well, the sin of the Pharisees and the misplaced emphasis of the Pharisees is natural to all of us. It's the way that we are born in our sinful, fallen condition. We put the emphasis on outward things, on what others can see, and we forget that God looks chiefly on the heart at what others cannot see. Well, the Lord Jesus makes this emphasis here in this verse. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It's also interesting to consider that Jesus' audience that day was either altogether or no doubt nearly so, all Jewish people. And in this ages-old rivalry between Jew and Gentile, the Jews considered themselves as the clean ones and the Gentiles were the unclean ones. They were defiled and had no hope of being purified. The Jews were the pure ones. They had the ceremonial law. They had the washings. They had the sacrifices and so on. They were clean. Ceremonially. But the Lord Jesus here lays the axe to the root of the tree, we might say. And he doesn't say... Blessed are the pure ceremonially. But blessed are the pure in heart. A person may be ceremonially clean and still defiled within. And that's what God sees and addresses. What matters most is the purity of the heart. And so there's several points to draw here and several things to mention from this passage. First of all is simply this. True religion consists of the heart. It consists in the heart. Out of the heart, everything else flows. And when we read of the heart in a passage like this, We understand that it's not referring to the organ in the body, but that term is used perhaps because that organ in the body is the most uh, interior and and protected. It's the truest part of us, we might say, and, and without it, you can't live. 
It's what pumps the blood and, and the life is in the blood, God told them. Heart refers to that which is internal in contrast to that which is outward or external. Sometimes in theological conversation, we contrast the mind with the heart. And we think of the mind as more of the the rational thinking faculty and the heart as more of the affections and, and what we love or what we hate. And honestly, I think it's safe to say most of the time when the term mind or heart is used in Scripture, it's not making that fine distinction because how we think and what we love are so interconnected and intertwined that they cannot be separated. The heart then speaks of our deepest affections and our truest self. The heart is that which is the center of something. We speak of the the heart of a fruit or something like that. In the Old Testament, in Exodus 15, we read of Pharaoh and his army being drowned in the heart of the sea, right in the middle of it, in other words. The heart is not just that which is on the surface of our life, but it is that which is down deep in the core. It is the wellspring of all that we are and all that we do. The familiar verse in Proverbs says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Everything stems from the heart in this sense. And again, this is what God is chiefly interested in. True religion consists in the heart. As goes the heart, so goes the whole life. God said to Samuel, Don't look at the outward appearance. Don't just think about Saul, and he's so tall and handsome, and here's this normal-sized, red-headed young David. (coughs) The Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on what? On the heart. Friend, God sees your heart and mine. And there's no hiding from him. There's no avoiding. There's no escaping. He knows the state of your heart. He knows how dirty it is. He knows how clean it is. And let me pursue this thought just a bit further. This beatitude goes against our natural way of thinking. We mentioned earlier how that it goes against religious thought. It it, it goes against our religious instincts that are always focused on that which is outward. But even in a more general sense, our natural way of thinking 
is that whatever is inside is only yours. Nobody else knows it. And so it doesn't matter. A very obvious example is this. It's okay to lust in your heart as long as you don't carry it out. Oh, you can have all kinds of thoughts that are impure. As long as you don't carry it out, you're safe. That's the way people think naturally. And these beatitudes are counter to our natural way of thinking. And when someone who has this natural way of thinking sees someone who is a Christian who's had a transformation of heart who doesn't indulge in lust and that which would tend to encourage and produce lust they say something like this or they may at least think it to themselves those Christians who are concerned about inward sin and about fighting against you know these various lusts of the flesh and who don't who who endeavor to avoid thoughts of sin they are such unfortunate people they could be enjoying this so much and so what the natural man says is unfortunate are the pure in heart I say every one of us naturally despises the tenth commandment that says thou shalt not covet. That tenth commandment is all about the heart and the desires. The Lord Jesus here tells us the truth. The ones who are really happy, the ones who are truly fortunate are those who are pure in heart. We read earlier these words from Psalm 119. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. And so there's more than one psalm that is parallel to what the Lord Jesus is saying here. Well, our hearts are naturally unclean. Adam was created pure in heart but he fell into sin lost the purity of heart and now all of us born into Adam's race generation after generation are unclean in our hearts and these familiar words from Jeremiah 17 must be reiterated here the heart is deceitful Your heart, my heart, is deceitful. It deceives us and it seeks to deceive others. We would like to deceive God if we could. We pretend that we do. The heart is deceitful. In fact, just listen to what the Lord says here through Jeremiah. The heart is deceitful above all things. There's nothing more deceitful. There's nothing more treacherous. There's nothing more hypocritical 
than the heart of man above all things and desperately wicked. Not just a little small blemish, but desperately filthy and vile. So much so that we are not even capable of knowing how bad, how filthy, how dirty our heart is. It's a horrible state in which we are in Adam, in our sin. And this passage goes on to say the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? it it's beyond comprehension. We don't even know. We know a little bit, but we don't know the whole thing about how wicked our own heart is. But God knows. He knows everything. He knows just how evil our heart is. I, the Lord, search the heart, he says. And so then what is a pure heart? That's the next thing that we want to define here. Well, the pure heart, obviously, is the opposite of a corrupt heart, opposite of a sin-loving heart. Purity of heart, especially, maybe to look at it under the microscope here, is the opposite of a heart that is double and deceitful. It's to have a single focus, not to be pretending not to be a hypocrite, not to have mixed affections and mixed motives, but to be one toward God in agreement with him, in harmony with him, to have motives that are for his glory and nothing less. A pure heart agrees with God, loves what God loves, hates what God hates. A pure heart is obedient to the will of God. It abhors sin. It abhors all that is opposed to God. That's at least a short working definition of the pure heart. And the statement of our Lord is that those who are pure in heart are the ones who are happy, who are fortunate. So here we are. We're born with a wicked, sinful, dirty heart that is helpless to change and improve. And the only way that we will see God, the only way that we will be truly happy and blessed is to be pure in heart. So how do we become pure in heart? How do we come to have a pure heart? Well, the short answer is you have to get it from God. You have to receive it from Him. He who is the heavenly surgeon must do heart surgery on you. Figuratively speaking, he must work in the depths and the vitals of your soul and do a transforming work that only he can do. 
Only the grace of God can give anyone a pure heart. Apart from that, it is impossible. It's beyond our reach. We cannot improve ourselves. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one, we read in Job chapter 14. The water cannot rise above its own level. And our hearts cannot rise above themselves. We're in bondage to ourselves and our sinful selves. Only a power greater than we is able to purify our heart. There's a proverb that reads, Who can say, I have made my heart clean. I am pure from my sin. Well, this is a rhetorical question. The answer is obvious on the face of it. No one can say, I've made my own heart clean. I've purified myself from my sin. No, the only one who would dare to profess such a thing as that is one who has never really come to understand his own heart and how much in bondage to sin it is. A pure heart comes from God. Let me remind you of the words in Isaiah, or Ezekiel chapter 36 about the new covenant or the New Testament and the privileges and blessings and the grace of it where God says, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean. This, of course, is figuratively speaking. This is, this is the, the purification, the cleansing. From all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you. And a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. A heart that's living, in other words. Not just dead like a stone. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And ye shall keep my judgments and do them. A heart fit for God can only be made by God. And a good exercise, perhaps, for when you go home or have some leisure time, look at Isaiah 36, 26, and see in these three verses, 25, 6, and 7, all of the I wills of God here. I will sprinkle. I will cleanse. I will give you, I will take away, and I will give, and I will put, and I will cause. Those are are, are the divine I wills that work powerfully to change us and to turn us from that, that, that dirty heart to a clean heart. But notice what he also says. There are the you shalls here. 
you shall walk in my statutes. You shall keep my judgments and do them. What we do is only because of the working of the grace of God within us. What is impossible for us is possible with God. And so this is how we come to have a pure heart. It's the saving grace of God. This is what is implied, we might say, between the clauses here in Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Pure hearts are the effect of divine grace operating in the soul, transforming it into the image of Christ. But let me just say a little bit more on this. This is, this is the very heart of the matter here. From God we receive a pure heart in a judicial sense, though we don't think of that very much. We usually think of it in an experiential sense. But let me just say something about a pure heart in a judicial sense, by union with Christ, because we are in union with him. When God looks at our heart, he sees the heart of Christ. And I don't profess to understand this altogether, but we read passages like this from the Old Testament. You know, Israel was murmuring against God over and over again. In fact, he was keeping count. And he says, ten times you've murmured against me. Isn't that dreadful to think that God was keeping score? He was keeping a record, a count. Nevertheless, in the midst of all that, in Numbers chapter 23, through Balaam of all people, we read that God has not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. How could that be? There's one record after another of their sins. Well, it's because God looked at them through Christ and had put away their sins, and when he looked at them, he didn't see any. That's what we might call a pure heart judicially. But God also gives a pure heart experientially in in what we think and feel and how we live. This is regeneration. God gives us a new heart that is purified. And it's not perfectly purified. There's still remaining sin and much more than we would like to admit. But there has been a definitive cleansing, washing, Cleaning. Jesus spoke to Peter about it there uh, as, as being washed from the head to the toe. But the feet still need periodic washing. Well, that, that's a good picture of what we're talking about here. Sanctifying grace cleanses us and yet there is ongoing cleansing that needs to be done. And listen to the description of conversion given in Acts chapter 15. God which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost. Speaking of the Gentiles being saved like the Jews. 
and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. In connection with the exercise of faith is the cleansing of the heart. And I take that to be referring to our own conscious experience. And as I said, we do not attain to perfection in this life, but we do attain to it in the life to come. Thank God. In Romans chapter 7, Paul lamented that he still had remaining sin, indwelling sin. But one of the best evidences of a pure heart is to be conscious of and burdened with the impurity that remains in us. Someone put it this way, the promises of the gospel are not to those who think they are perfect, but to those who long to be so. And there is this relative purity of heart that is the Christian experience this side of heaven. Well, thank God there is finally a pure heart perfectly in glorification. Because there shall in no wise enter into God's heaven anything that defileth. But before we leave this point, let, let me say one more thing. There are many passages that point us to our responsibility. And that though a pure heart is, is the fruit of the grace of God at work in us, we do have some duty and responsibility. God works through means, and he works in us to cause us to desire a pure heart and to endeavor to have a pure heart. And especially in terms of sanctification, listen to these commands. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. And of course, be ye holy for I am holy. There, there's the command. There's the imperative. We have a duty to be holy. Even though we cannot make ourselves holy. God works through us. Through our conscious desires and prayers and efforts. Without holiness no man shall see the Lord. The apostle writes to the Corinthians. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. The Apostle John tells us every man that has the hope of, of glorification with Christ purifies himself. We read earlier, thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. To avoid a dirty heart, we hide God's word within it. Well, very quickly here, let me just mention how Christ himself models this beatitude. We've seen this in all of them thus far. Whoever had a pure heart like Jesus himself? No sin in him. He's described in Hebrews 7 as holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. No defilement, 
no dirty sinfulness in any way, not a speck of it in his heart. He could look at his bitterest critics, those who watched every move he made looking for a mistake, who listened to every word he said, trying to find something wrong that they could catch. And he says, which of you convinceth me of sin? It's as if he says, take your best shot at me. He was conscious of his own pure heart. And he had the words of Psalm 40 in his mouth. Quoted in Hebrews chapter 10, I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. And his reward is that he is seated in glory at the right hand of the Father. Let me give it to you from Psalm 16 here, just a couple of verses. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. You know, this is quoted in Acts chapter 2 with reference to Christ. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope, for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell or in the grave. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Christ's reward for the purity of heart and the sacrifice of himself for our salvation is resurrection glory. But let me hasten on here to, to this last point. The verse says, Blessed or happy are the pure in heart. What is the happiness? What is held forth for the pure in heart as their happiness? It is that they will see God. And I suppose this was probably another concept that confused our Lord's hearers that day. If they were familiar at all with the Old Testament, they knew that no one could see God and live. No one could see his face. There shall no man see me and live, God said to Moses. Even Moses was not allowed to see God in the fullest sense on this earth. But the happiness of seeing God is promised here in this beatitude to those who are pure in heart. And it is fulfilled in a world to come, not on this earth, but in the state of glory, in heaven, if you will, in a state of glorification where redeemed humanity will in fact see God. And I'm not sure that I can explain or understand so as to explain all that is involved in that. Older writers gave it this title, the beatific vision or the blessed vision. Yes, if I understand it correctly, our resurrected Physical eyes will see the person of Christ, 
But in, in our consciousness, in our spirit, we will see the Father in a way of greater knowledge and clarity and understanding and closeness of presence and holding fellowship with him in a dimension that we cannot even imagine now. The sight of God in glory is indescribable to us in our present state. We can't handle it. Paul seems to have gotten just a peek when he was stoned probably on an occasion, taken up for dead, and then revived again. And he said, I saw things that I can't talk about. All these people that, talk, that give their testimonies that they died and went to heaven and they come back and tell us all about it. Well, Paul didn't get to do that, did he? It makes me very skeptical of anybody else claiming such a thing. But in heaven, we will look upon him. This is the summum bonum, the highest good of which we as creatures are capable to see God. It says in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 4, they shall see his face. Beloved, to see God is heaven itself. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Even in the oldest book of the Bible, book of Job, we see Job looking forward to this. Though after my skin worms destroy this body, when I'm in the grave and my body is eaten of worms, yet he, he looked forward to a resurrection. In my flesh... Shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, he says. This is the, the happiness of the pure in heart, to get to see God. You see, God himself is pure. He's infinitely pure. And he only allows pure Things and pure people into his presence. And so it's the pure in heart who will see him. This is the blessedness. This is the happiness to see God. You know, again, old writers would often say, happiness is holiness. And this text comes as close to saying that as any in the Bible. Happy are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So I want to ask you today, is this the longing of your heart? Do you want to see God? If you do, then you must want a pure heart also. Because it's the pure in heart who will see God. Do you long for purity of heart? There's no more basic question that I could ask than that. Thomas Watson 
says, if God should stretch out the golden scepter and say to a Christian, ask and it shall be given thee to the half of the kingdom, he would say, Lord, a pure heart. That's what I want more than anything else. It's to have a heart like God, a heart in agreement with him, a heart that is in harmony and one with him. And there's something to be said here, again, in way of application, in that the purer in heart you become, the more you see of him. And that's here and now. By his grace, we begin to have a pure heart. And we begin to see him. We begin to know him. We begin to hold fellowship with him. And we look forward to being perfectly pure in heart and having this glorious vision of him in the world which is to come forever and ever without any sin remaining in our heart. So if it is true that the pure in heart will see God, what becomes of those whose hearts are not pure? Where only sin and corruption dwells, who have no desire for purity of heart, who enjoy and indulge in their dirty heart, the only conclusion we can draw is they won't see God. They'll miss out on the greatest thing of all. Oh, how dreadful to miss the beatific vision of God. The only sight they will have of Him is as a judge on a throne who condemns them and casts them into the lake of fire forever. They want to hide from God now. They don't want to see him. But they will come face to face with him for that moment. When he will look upon them with holy wrath in perfect justice. My dear friend, don't let that be you. I plead with you, don't let that be you. But humble yourself before God. Confess your sinful heart in all of its facets. We we didn't even try to mention all the different ways that the heart can be prone to sin. But confess it all to him. Make the prayer of David in Psalm 51 your prayer today. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Give me a clean heart. Give me a new heart. Come to Christ, turning from sin, trusting in Christ for salvation, and he'll receive you. He'll receive you with open arms. He'll receive you with his love and his grace. And he'll give you a pure heart. He'll begin a purifying process that in a way goes on and on and on until you go to be with the Lord 
in the perfection of heaven. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God.